Patriarchy. Is it a gift from God or an oppressive system that needs to be torn down? Listen in to my conversation with Andrew Preuss on this episode of Radio Evangard as he explains the biblical origins of patriarchy, its connection with Trinitarian theology, and how it continues to be God's pattern of ordered love in the family, society, and church. Join us. Welcome to the Evangard Occasional Podcast, where we engage in conversations with interesting men and gain encouragement from our Christian brothers in our God-given callings of father, son, husband, ruler, and worker. I'm your host today, Brian Flammy, a pastor by calling to the Saints of God at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Joining me today is Pastor Andrew Preuss, who serves the Saints at St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, and Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa. Today, we'll be discussing biblical patriarchy, what it is, its benefits, its abuses, and whether or not it can be asserted and practiced by Christians in this progressive and socially just age. And I'll just start by saying this, Andrew, it seems to me that patriarchy is one of the words that you cannot speak of uh, uh, positively in a public context. It has such a bad connotation nowadays that uh, it's almost the same as saying like misogyny or something like that. You're, there's something uh, cruel and unusual if, if you say that you are pro-patriarchy. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, it's, what's funny is that I was kind of naive to that. Uh, when I first started writing and studying specifically on this issue, um, it was, uh, you know, it was, I, I just, I thought of the word patriarchy as just fatherly rule. Like, that's a good thing. You know, you, you, we always, we learn in Sunday school about the patriarchs, right? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the others. And that there's, uh, you know, when you grow up with a, with a father who is stern and caring at the same time and understands kind of boundaries yet freedom, you know, those kinds of things that you learn from a stable home under a father and a mother, you know, it's not, it shouldn't really be a bad word, but uh, I, I re- you know, I've, I've since learned in the last five or six years that patriarchy is, is like a cuss word. And like you said, you know, misogynist is it, it's almost it's it's almost used in the same breath as uh, misogynist. So which hmm. is too bad. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the idea is from the opponents of patriarchy that it is an oppressive system that has been organized by men and perpetuated by men to keep women in this sort of oppressed class. Uh, so that men can selfishly use this system to gain, I don't know, advantages and other things uh, from patriarchy. Uh, is, is that what the, the opponents of patriarchy think or something similar to that? Yeah, I mean, it would all go back to some sort of a critical theory of, uh, of, of a power struggle between the oppressed and the oppressors. And hmm. you know, there's no end to this. There's no you can you can. You can use this to deconstruct any kind of relationship uh, and, 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 you know, deconstruct it down to just the oppressors and the oppressed. And so, you know, whether it, it started with, you know, the, the, the laborers and the, and the employee, employers, 
um, or the owners of production of the means of production and then the workers, you know, which is kind of what Marx first went after in, in communism. And there's obviously some truth to that too. This is what makes this so permit, you know, so the, this is what makes it so permeating in, in people's minds and relevant to people because there's obviously truth to it. You know, there are, there are greedy uh, business and landowners who, you know, are able to make money off the backs of other people. And so likewise, there are abusive fathers and husbands. And these things have always existed since the fall into sin. And so, you know, there's a, there's an important distinction, though, that we Lutherans make in the formula of Concord, Article 1, uh, where we 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 had to we had to articulate that on the one hand our sinful nature is altogether corrupt and has no uh, potential in itself or power in itself to come to a right relationship with God, uh, and yet at the same time we didn't want to go so far as to as to say that the nature itself in and of itself is sin that sin is part of the nature. But that no, the nature is some is something that God has originally created good, right? And so when we talk about human nature, we're going to distinguish between the human nature, which is corrupt, and the corruption of sin, which actually corrupts the human nature. And when we make that distinction, we can also then include in human nature the other institutions that God has set in place, like the authority of father and thereby of mother and of husbands. Uh, in hmm. in the home and any kind of authority that might ex expand from that. So today there's this obsession with power. Uh, you know, who has it, who doesn't, and the rights of the disenfranchised or the unempowered. Is that how you talk, talk about it? The unempowered? <laughs> you know, they have this, this sort of moral responsibility to tear down their evil oppressors, right? Now, I think what you said is very good, and that's you know, th that there is a power interaction between people is undeniable, right? And not only is it undeniable, but we can also think of offhand examples of abuses in power. You know, everybody's had the bad boss, right? Everybody mm -hmm. uh, has heard of abusive parents. And, but, but your point is, is well taken, that just because uh, something like parental authority or power, or even the powers of of uh, people who, who employ and manage can be abused, that doesn't make that organization of power in and of itself evil, wrong, or wicked. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and I think that what you're going to be telling us is that, is that patriarchy is this ordered power that comes from God that he means not for oppression, but, but for uh, the use of, of love in this world, right? And for the benefit of our neighbor, not for sort of the, the predatory behavior of the oppressors upon the oppressed. Yeah, that's exactly right. That God is our father. Uh, and, and Ephesians, Paul writes in the epistle to the Ephesians that it is from him that all uh, families are named, right? And that's usually how it's translated there. The word there is patria, you know, so it's... Uh, Another way to translate, and I believe the King James translates it this way, that it is from him that all fatherhood is named, right? So it, patriarchy begins with the original pater, you know, uh, our father in heaven. 
and he has begotten mm-hmm. the son from eternity. So who we have here within God himself is this economy, as the fathers have called it, uh, this, uh, this, this order within God, this, this, this inner working of God, this relationship within the Trinity, which is then reflected in God's three basic outward works, which is creation, redemption, and sanctification. And these three works of God, uh, you know, are, they all go together. They, they, they shadow one another. And so, you know, if we're going to champion redemption and say, well, all that matters is that we believe that Jesus died for us, but then we're going to, you know, uh, kowtow to the culture that wants to get rid of any notion of patriarchy. Well, then we're attacking the first article of the creed on creation and we are doing damage to our understanding of the father's relation to the son and thereby to the Holy spirit as well, which affects our redemption as well as our Christian life. Hmm. Yeah. This is a, a, a an idea that I, I remember reading about in Augustine that uh, within the, the nature of God, right. You find even in the, the fact that he is triune, uh, St. Augustine would find a, a an analogy to that in human nature, right? We're soul, body, spirit, that sort of a thing. And this is, and so there's something within God, the fact that there is father and son that is also being reflected in creation, redemption, and sanctification. That's, that's wonderful. Now, besides the, the passages that you've already mentioned, what are some of the key biblical passages that you would point folks to, to learn about biblical patriarchy? I would point to really any of the any of any any of the portions in the epistles where you would have where the apostles would be covering what we call the table of duties. Um, you know, you you find this in First Peter really throughout, beginning with chapter two. He talks about you know obedience to the the worldly authorities, uh, the emperor being supreme, and all men in their various stations. Um, and uh, then goes from there, chapter three, to talk about uh, husbands and wives. Um, and then uh, in chapter four and five, he kind of gets into the general life of the, within the church. Um, but then, you know, you have other <clears throat> examples. Uh, Ephesians chapter five and six, uh, Paul gets into the relationship between husbands and wives. And then in chapter six gets into, you know, the, the relationship between fathers and uh, and their children, and then he gets into slaves and servants and 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 or slaves or servants and masters, and uh, you know you have this in Colossians three as well. He you know these these kind of table of duties uh, themes. Another place I would go to uh, to understand the relation between the the Trinity uh, and and this created order. Uh, uh, of, of, of husband and wife, man and woman, and so forth, uh, is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul discusses the, the, the topic of head coverings. And, and perhaps mm-hmm. this is something that we, maybe people aren't as familiar with this part of 1 Corinthians. They're, you know, as Lutherans, we're probably more familiar with the second part of 1 Corinthians 11, which deals with the Lord's Supper and uh, the practice of the Lord's Supper. Uh, but at, but at, the, at the beginning of that chapter, he talks about the, you know, the custom that they have of women wearing head coverings. And 
what he what Paul's doing is he's taking this custom that has been adopted by all the churches uh, and and they all just have this outward custom and he commends them for it. But then he but then he explains to them what what this signifies, you know, so that they don't so that it doesn't just become some kind of, you know, empty custom to them. And he, and he shows how, no, this signifies that a woman has a, she has a symbol of authority over her head uh, because she, her husband is her head. But he doesn't stop there. He says that that the head of every man is Christ and the head of Christ is God, namely the father. And, and, and that's where you, you know, you, you really have to grapple with that and ask, well, what is he saying here? He, he's speaking in the present tense as well. Um, this, the, the Christ is equal with the father, right? The son is equal with the father. And yet the father is his head. And then you have this in, if you skip ahead to 1 Corinthians 15, you have the son, even in his exalted state, subjecting himself to the father. Uh, who has put all things in subjection under him so that God may be all in all. And so here you have the son, even in his exalted state, submitting to the father. Now, of course, this is not to imply that he's less than the father with respect to his divinity. But, it re but what it's referring to is the order within the Godhead of persons, right? The father is not begotten of the son. The son is begotten of the father. And that order still exists. For eternity, and in, and it's part and parcel with his outward order of salvation, of saving us, and of creating us, and it's reflected in creation. So, so you know, going to to Ephesians five, you have this relation between Christ and the church, reflected by the relationship between the husband and his wife, and 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 so we should be able to see within our daily duties in life a reflection of God Himself and take comfort in. Instead of just, you know, uh, treating it as some big oppression, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, yeah. So a distinction of power, I think, to the, the modern thinker or the contemporary thinker, I should say, implies oppression. I think I think you're right about that. And even to the point where in the church, uh, I know that you have received a little bit of pushback from a paper and some comments that you've uh, that you've made uh, that uh, that that uh, uh, yeah the subjection of the son to the father right and how that's reflected even in the relationships of of husbands and wives or the fathers of the household right uh, you've received some pushback probably from folks who who think that wait wait a second I think that equality is the main thing to be grasped, right? Uh, and that if there is, and these folks uh, have challenged you on this and saying that, well, we don't think that there is a subjection of the son to the father and the Godhead. And, and instead we call that subordinationism, right? And, the, and uh, the, 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 uh, the accusation was made that uh, you and probably other theologians like you who try to draw out this, this argument from analogy from God to uh, uh, to the family, which you are, you're saying that St. Paul makes that same argument, mm -hmm. um, that this, is, that this is misguided because it, it is in fact trying to articulate something like a, a Christian heresy called subordinationism. Now I looked up subordinationism, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, in a Roman Catholic dictionary, 
thinking that they should have a really long article about it, but they didn't, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so I did the thing that Dr. David Scare of our Fort Wayne Seminary so hates. I looked it up in Peeper. <laughs> yeah. And this, and this is what Peeper says. The subordinists call God's son God in the secondary sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And so they destroy the concept God. When And when modern theologians speak of degrees of inspiration, they discard scriptural concept of inspiration. Well, and then also he, he, he defines it a little more specifically. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, he says that uh, the subordinationism teaches that the three persons of the Trinity are of unequal quality. That's right. Are of unequal quality. So, so that, yeah, you, I suppose a subordinationist could say that the son uh, is, is God, but in a qualified sense, right? Mm -hmm. They try to throw in a qualifier right there. Uh, and I think that uh, for the Lutherans, we, we've typically said, and I, I think the, the typical formulation is that, that, you know, that Christ is equal to God with regard to his divinity and less than God with regard to his humanity, right? That's the typical formulation. But you say that there's even something to be said about the divinity that, that uh, from eternity, the son has a special relationship to the father that's undeniable in that it helps us to understand the distinction of persons, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, Peeper's right that you have, that there, I mean, you always have these subtle, you're always going to have these subtle heresies popping up that are really just kind of a a sneaky version of old heresies you know so you have the mm. arians who taught that the son is less than the father he's the he less than the father with respect to his divinity that he's he's the first creation of the father but then you have those who still want to sort of you know they want to sound like they're orthodox but then they speak of the son as though he's less than the father in quality and that's a good way of putting it, that, that he's not less than the father in quality. Uh, he is the same God as the father, the same in majesty, the same Lord. Now, I do want to comment a bit, though, on this, uh, on, on what you, 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 know, you quoted from, or you sort of paraphrased or alluded to the Athanasian Creed, which says that he mm -hmm. is equal to the father with respect to his divinity and less than the father with respect to his humanity. Of course, I wholeheartedly agree mm -hmm. with that, uh, and uh, mm -hmm. and and this is something that um, you know that's that's true. Now, what? But here's something though that I want to I, I think is important for us to to reassert, uh, which I think in the in Western Christendom became less emphasized. Uh, the the guys like the Cappadocian the Cappadocian Fathers, you know, Gregory of uh, Nazianzus. Um, you know, guys like that who would talk about the Trinity, they would speak of, uh, they understood that when Jesus says in John 14, uh, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Right. They, mm -hmm. they understood that to be him referring to the generation, his generation of the Father, that Jesus, and, and I have made this point when I teach on John, on John's gospel, mm -hmm. that Jesus is not a rogue deity. He is sent by the Father. And this is what the Trinity teaches us. So Jesus is not saying that he's less than the Father with respect to his divinity. 
But he's also not merely saying that he's less than that the father's greater than him according to his 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 human nature, right? He's ref he's speaking of order. He's speaking not of quality, but of order in person that he's re he, that he is generated from the father. And Luther in his uh, now Augustine interpreted this to be to mean that he is uh, that Jesus is just talking about his human nature, that the father is greater than his human nature. That's how Augustine took it. And since then, I mean, the Western Western Christendom is kind of taken it that way. And so the Athanasian Creed, you know, it's dedicated to Athanasius. Um, and so but it's speaking in a more of a Western way. Again, it's all true. I agree with Augustine on that. But what Jesus specifically is saying here is uh, is he's talking about his generation from the father. And Luther affirms this Luther in his sermons on John, on John 14, he addresses this and he quotes Augustine who says that th this is referring to Jesus is referring to the father being greater than his human nature. And, and Luther says he commends Augustine for it. He says, yeah, th this is a fine opinion, but that's just not what Jesus is saying. You know, Jesus is referring and, 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 and uh, uh, so Luther aligns himself with the early uh, church fathers and specifically the Greek fathers. Um, so, you know, I think that we need to, we need to be careful that we are not overreacting to a kind of label of subordinationism. The Bible literally says that the son subjects himself to the father. That's literally what it says. He uses the word submit, you know, hupataco you know, or hupataso. So, you know, hupataco, an undertaco. Undertaco, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, taxis, is the word. You know, yeah. taxes, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so it's, it's, it really, I, I don't, you know, when you, so there are people who push back on this and I've noticed it more among the reformed um, because there are those within hmm. the, within the Kel among the Calvinists and evangelicals who are kind of rediscovering this view of the Trinity uh, and recognizing the um, the significance of the orders of creation to the 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 operad intra and operad extra of 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 uh, of God um, and, uh, and and there's a big reaction against it within these conservative uh, circles and so you know there but it's interesting to read what these people what these people write, you know, the, these are the kind of people who would, who would uh, support this idea of a mutual submission, which is just so dumb. Like it's just, it, it, the words. So what does that mean? Mutual submission. What are they talking about? Like they expect this to be in the household, like the husband submits to the wife, just, just yeah. as the wife submits to the husband. Exactly. Is that the idea? So in other words, there's no submission, you know, it's just, it's just silly. Now, obviously this, the, the wife does not submit to her husband in the same way that the children do, because the wife is equal with her husband with respect to flesh, right? The children are not, you know, that, so, so there's, I mean, in a way, I guess you can say that they, they are, they, they are part of your flesh, but you know, there, there's obviously, you know, we just, it's, it's, I'm not trying to like necessarily nail down with some kind of dogmatic uh, uh, connection perfectly. But what I'm saying is that there's, there's clearly an, analogy between the order of creation in the home and even in society and the and and god hmm. and how how the the economy of god and and so you know 
this is this is again this is what the bible this is how the bible speaks but the people who push back against this they push for this kind of mutual submission and you know they're just kind of they're sort of these conservatives that are um you know they're 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 sort of like neoconservatives you know they're kind of like uh they're they're sort of they're these kind of pansy you know they're but i still don't even understand they create for themselves this straw man and they say well you guys are you know this view of patriarchy is so detrimental to women and it's like well i suppose if you have an abusive corrupt pagan view of it then yeah okay um Mm. yeah we agree with that but they're they're just you know you you talk to some guys and they're just it's like they have been so whipped they've been so (laughs) they have been so emasculated that they have to, that they can't just assert what scripture says. And they, you know, they always have to tame everything. Now, obviously, in a way, in a sense, I'm kind of thankful for them because it is, you know, there's something good about being aware of the fact that this stuff can be abused and that people can, um, mm-hmm. the father, you can have corrupt authority. But at the same time, we, I, I just, I mean, I read some of what these guys write and they'll say, you know, oh, there's no, the, the son doesn't submit to the father, the son's begotten of the father. Yeah, that's what it means. That's the same thing. That's what Jesus means, you know, th- but th- th- there's an order then. There's an order and yet an equality. So the, the two become one flesh, and yet there's an order within. And just as... God- it strikes me that there's a, a very practical example of the son, even in his divinity, uh, submitting himself to the father. Right. Mm-hmm. And that would be Jesus praying in Gethsemane mm-hmm. uh, uh, that uh, uh, if it in there and there, it's not just as if the bare humanity of flesh and flesh of Jesus is saying, I don't want to suffer. Right. But in fact, it's the whole Christ who prays to the father. Thy will be done. Right. Yeah. But that is his state of humiliation. I mean, that's the height of his state of humiliation. Mm. So his, his assumed human nature is terrified. Um and his mm. his his uh, but but yet his his divin his divinity is never separated from his humanity. It's distinct. But through that communication mm-hmm. of attributes, mm-hmm. his divinity experiences the terror as well. But through its communication with the human nature, so it's not you know in and of itself the mm-hmm. divine nature is not terrified. Um, but um, but he mm-hmm. you know that humil that hum- humility the humiliation is that through his human nature. God dies, right? God, God experiences fear, um, not in and of himself in, in his divine nature, but through, again, through the, the, the humiliated human nature that he's assumed. So I don't know, were you in class that one mm-hmm. time? Were you in, did you take prolegomena with me? Yeah, yes. with Ziegler. <laughs> Do you remember that time when, uh, when, yes. when Ziegler asked what the human nature when what the humiliation yeah. was, and I said, I said, well, when Jesus didn't fully use his uh, divine attributes uh, in his human nature, and then he's like, you better get your money back from whoever taught you dogmatics, <laughs> because I didn't say assumed, <laughs> I didn't say assumed human nature, human nature I was like, right. okay, details. <laughs> that's right, I've, I've been very careful about talking about the assumption yeah, of the that's human right. nature, that's right. for sure. Well, and that's, you know, and the thing there is, why is that important, that, the, and, and this kind of, I'll, I'll bring this kind of full circle with the, the issue of patriarchy, why is that important? 
that the that that God, the Son, isn't just somehow united to a human nature and but and yet detached at the same time though while he is dis, while his divinity is distinct from his humanity he has fully assumed his human nature he has fully so that he uh-huh. fully communicates with it and this again shows us that uh you know our daily lives and the 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 orders that exist within our daily lives are good and they they're these are things that have been redeemed that which he has not assumed, he has not mm-hmm. redeemed, right? So he has assumed our bodies and he's assumed our duties as well, our relationships, right? And you see this in the way that he treats his mother and his father. He submits to them. You know, he submits to authority. He, he, he does his duty. He encourages others to do the same. He, he, he heals and, and all that. So all of his obedience, all of his active and passive obedience, his, his, his good work and uh his obedience to the father and his suffering and death all of that restores for us this this image of god which is reflected in creation in man and woman male and female uh and and this is this is why we still this is why we defend marriage and all all other kinds of institutions that would flow from that as good and so Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, I, 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 there's so much to talk about here and uh, so many things that I, I, I think that the, the, the listeners to the occasional Evangard podcast might find interesting. Uh, especially, I want you to, if you could, just take a moment to talk about this that you brought up earlier, that patriarchy isn't something that's limited to only the relationship of husband, uh, wife, and children. But it seems as if one of the earliest things that you said in the in the recording was that the, this, the patriarchy can be found in each of the estates. You can find uh, patriarchy in government, right? You can find patriarchy even in the church. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, this is why we don't ordain women, right? The reason why we don't ordain women isn't because of isn't because there's some, uh, you know something about the nature of the pastoral office itself that is is masculine i mean that's there's there's some truth to that that's there's certainly some truth to that but that's that's the reason why we ordain why we don't ordain women is is rather it's 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 a totally it has everything to do with the or with the order of creation so you know as far as the ministry goes as far as status you know when, when it comes to you know spiritual status goes all Christians are on equal standing as priests in God's kingdom. Um, and, uh, and so, so anytime any Christian speaks the word of God, that's as honored uh, uh, by God as, as anyone else, uh, as long as it proceeds from faith. And that goes along with any good work for that matter. Uh, but the reason why, the reason why we, we don't ordain women is because, you know, women are not to have authority over men. Now, what about in the civil realm? You know, people say, well, well, I don't know if we can apply that to the civil realm. Um, well, of course we can. Yeah, are you talking down Margaret Thatcher or what's going on? Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, is that <laughs> you're going, you're never going to, okay, in the civil realm, you just got to realize that we're talking about civil righteousness. And yes, the bar gets lowered. That's just what happens. This isn't, this doesn't mean that we approve of the lowering of the bar, um, but it also doesn't mean that we, don't acknowledge a woman's authority when she, when it's given to her. 
You know, God has worked through that in the past. Um, look at Deborah, right? Well, I, these these men are doing what's right in their own eyes, and God raises up a wise woman, Deborah, and uh, and that was good on her part. But even Deborah and ashamed, and ashamed the, men. the men, and she said that much. She said that to Barak that you know that 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 if I go with you, if I fight with you in battle, then then the glory is not going to be for you. It's going to be to your, in fact, that's another way of saying it. it's going to be your, to your shame because God's going to hand Sisera over to a woman. And, 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 and after the battle, and by the way, she doesn't go into battle with them. Um, but then afterwards she sings a song and she refers to herself as the mother of Israel. So even when women have to exercise authority, um, they do so as mothers. They're not going to be like men. Now you might have, stronger women like Margaret Thatcher, you know, these more iron women, but they're still women, you know, and God will work through that. God can work through all that. But, but really ultimately, if the men are, are, are giving up their obligations uh, and, and expecting women to rule over them, that's not going to end well. It might last for a little while, um, especially if you have lots and lots of money, but it's not going to end well. There's going to be there's that's a sign of decay. You know, Isaiah speaks of this, and is that in the, is that in his first chapter, uh, or is it uh, later on, where uh, Isaiah says, you know, children are your oppressors and women rule over you. This is clearly an indictment against mm. them. So you know, okay, we we live in a society where where women are you know the conservatives play this role all the time they do this in the missouri senate too where you know they find like a good good woman and then they have her go and fight the battles because they'll listen to a woman because everyone's so emasculated that they'll just you know and then we just assume well they'll listen to a woman yeah a woman will receive more sympathy that's true but you know if that's it's if that is continually what you are doing if that's the route that you're taking continually, that you're just going to use women to fight your battles, well, then you're it's it's only going to get worse, right? It's like putting a bandaid over an infection that needs deeper treatment. Um, so, so I mean, that, so that's just a reality. And and the fact of the matter is, in our churches, the same thing has happened. You know, we hold on to the pastoral office, which is good. Um, but uh. But where is the leadership in our congregations? And I, I and I'm thankful that I do have some male leadership in my congregations. But you know, often it's hard. You know, where where are the men? You know, and 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 women are are eager to help out, and I think women are often very helpful. But there's also we have to admit it's it's that that there is something in women that goes back to Eve that their desire is to rule over their husbands. That's just a fact. That's what God said to Eve, um, uh, to the woman before she was renamed Eve, that your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And there, right there, is the power struggle that is the curse of sin. Before that, there's no power struggle at all. They were equals. He was the head, uh, you know, but, but, there was, but it was perfectly harmonious, right, as the father is to the son. Hmm. Um, that's, that's what it was before the fall. But now that the fall is has come, we have these struggles. But but here's the thing, though: we, as long as we live in this flesh, we can't just ignore the the the, the consequences of sin. Okay, so it's a struggle. There's a power struggle. 
all right, well, get over it. You got to deal, you got to work through that. And how do we deal? We can deal with it either as pagans um, where we don't forgive. We don't consider the, the, you know, the weakness of the, the weaker vessel. Um, and we just be a bunch of chauvinists or we can consider it as Christians and take our responsibilities, uh, which God has given us as men, as husbands, as fathers, and, uh, and, and, and serve and seek to serve. Um, but again, going back to, you know, you say the three estates, that this applies in the three estates. Absolutely it does. But we live in a fallen world and we don't always see this, right? Um, so how do we, so, so, you know, there's a temptation on the one hand to totally despair of the status quo. Uh, and then on the other hand, to try to validate the status quo, right? Um, the status quo currently is that women have authority over men in our churches, in our homes, largely, and in society. That's not good. But it's not all a loss either. You know, men still, you still have men who are stepping up, who are doing their duties. We don't ordain women in our churches. Now, unfortunately, you have way too many churches that have women uh, doing, like, like teaching and preaching um, and by preaching, I mean, I mean, like reading the lecture, reading from the lectern, that kind of stuff, uh, serving as elders and stuff like that, which is really shameful. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's a worthy thing to fight against. But, uh, you know, we shouldn't despair, though, of the kind of status quo that a lot of us find ourselves in where, you know, we have men as chairman and stuff like that. But then women pretty much, you know, women are, are taken over a lot. Um, so, on, so again, I want to say that we don't despair of that. We can still work with that. We can still encourage men to be men and, 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 and go back to the home and the setting that's in the home and, and teach them how, uh, how there, there's a unique role for both men and women, uh, which really do complement one another. But then on the other hand, not try to like validate the status quo um, and find, uh, find some kind of justification for why we still are good conservatives, even though we've kind of capitulated to the culture. Yeah, maybe that's the definition for neoconservatism that we need. Uh, you say that you're a conservative, you do like a, a bow or, or a, a nod to the traditions of the past, but at the same time, you're actively or, or, or maybe even <laughs> without you realizing it, working to conform those traditions and those orders of the past to the new yeah, reality, and I right? Okay, so oh, I, just a real quick yeah, point on these neoconservatives. You know, this they, they have made me consider <laughs> that there have to that we need to have different levels of punishment among us. Um, uh, you know that that these guys need to be maybe thrown in lockers or something because the, 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 the this is what they are. They punch <laughs> right. These are the guys who punch right. They're more offended by a conservative going too far in his conservatism than a liberal blaspheming God. So these guys, they need like maybe a swirly, maybe a, a wedgie um, or like thrown in locker. They need something like that. Maybe that will help them uh, stop being such, uh, uh, you know, betraying uh, false brethren. Surrender, yeah, surrender luckies. luckies who end up, you know, killing everyone. You were in the, Military, you probably know more about that than I do. How you know you can't just, you know, you're only strong. You're only as strong as your weakest link, right? 
So these guys are going to throw us under the bus before the, the Philistines. Yeah, that's the, the, those are some nice brethren. All right, you got me going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, this is it's it's entertaining at least. <laughs> so I do. Uh, okay. So to 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 make it practical for our occasional listeners, there's probably five of them out there. Uh, maybe we can tell Fisk to tell his men's group, Sons of Solomon, to tune in and to listen to all this. Yeah. After they're after they're done. Uh, after they're done you, cutting wood. And uh, like cutting down trees and chopping wood, <laughs> and they can uh, sit there, <laughs> sit there. Hey, wait a, I actually do chop quite a bit of wood <laughs> myself uh, outside to, for my furnace yeah. and stove and stuff. Okay, so uh, let's say I'm a guy that that I'm trying to reapply myself uh, to the exercise of godly headship in my home uh, and in my church. What are a couple of practical things that I can do? Uh, to, you know, start moving in that direction, both personally and maybe even encouraging the men to the left and to um, the right of me. This is what I, I would start in the home um, and, uh, and, and start with, you know, pick a hymn that you are learning in church. Maybe ask your pastor for like a good Lutheran hymn uh, that, uh, and, and, and make it your goal to teach that to your family. And pick a hard one. Pick up one of the old, these old dusty ones. Pick one that doesn't make you feel warm. You know, pick one that's like kind of, and, and also one that doesn't make you uh, feel like marching. Um, just, you know, maybe something like, uh, we all believe in one true God. That's a great one. You know, it's, it's a difficult tune, but it's really not that difficult. And teach it to your children. Learn how to do that. Learn how to teach your children and teach your wife. Uh, difficult hymns or just, you know, they don't have to be that difficult and make that a goal. That's what I would do. And then of course have your devotions around that, you know, read the Bible and the, and the catechism and stuff like that. Mm. And then in, in, in society, um, you know, really just, uh, you know, go, go to work, keep doing your job um, and, uh, and pay attention to how the civil realm affects your home so you know i wouldn't say get out there and vote make your voices heard um no you know that that maybe you could caucus and stuff like that just as sort of an education that so you can see how how power works how authority works in the civil realm and and uh you know it's kind of a good civics lesson for you uh and and then so that, that, that I think is just a good thing. It's a good experience to go to a caucus or um, not all states caucus. Some states uh, just have primary votes, which is lame. Um, but, um, but at any rate, uh, or maybe go to a school board meeting, right? If you have a school, if you, if your kids go to the public school, try to get involved in the school board, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And then within your church, um, go to a voters meeting and just, I know that they're boring and they, uh, they go, they often go long. And, um, you know, there's this weird idea that like, if you talk, then you've participated. It's sort of like being in a voters meeting often reminds me of myself when I was in, uh, when I was, when I was in class and I was totally unprepared, you know, like I didn't, I hadn't really read anything or maybe I had like skimmed through a few pages and then I was like, and then like, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to show that I've read it and I make a comment, you know, and it's just obviously, you know, I'm just kind of BSing. And so 
Um, I think that that happens. We we all knew what, when that was happening, that? Andrew. By the way, <laughs> we oh, all I knew didn't when do that, that was that happening. Much in by the way. And I was actually a little bit more prepared when I when I was doing with you at Portland, but but no, I probably I probably did do that. Oh wait, no, that one class though. No, uh, the contemporary dogmatic theology. Oh yeah, there's no way I could have read all that stuff. That was ridiculous. Anyway. Um, you were the one who had to read Pannenberg, so I just left that to you. But, uh, but uh, yeah, but anyway, um, you know, so there's a sort of obligation to kind of speak and stuff. And so meetings get kind of long and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, if you're a guy, go to the meetings. And maybe, like, if they need, especially if you're a smaller congregation, maybe they need a secretary just to take notes. It's not that hard. Just take notes. You know, volunteer to be the secretary, you know, for the voters, for, 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 for the congregation. Uh, I'm not talking about the office secretary who prints bulletins and stuff like that. No, but the secretary takes notes. Just something very simple. And then, you know, if you're good with money and you're a man and your church needs a, uh, you know, church needs a treasurer, you can do it, you know. And again, I'm not knocking. I got faithful women who who give their time for this stuff. And it's great. And I'm thankful for them. But it's just amazing, you know, really, the men do need to just kind of take things back. And that's that's not because the women are necessarily yeah. doing a terrible job. I think that they're Christian women who are, who often in many ways do great jobs. Sure. But the men need to lead um, because this is how God has designed it in the home. And we see this, we see this in cultures where there are absence of fathers and what happens to the children. They become delinquent in society. Well, why why should it surprise us then if we have this absence of fathers in the church, taking standing up and taking taking the reins, that uh, that we have a delinquency in the church? You know, it's going to work both ways. So I would recommend getting involved in the voters' meetings. You know, and then take up the you know be, be you know volunteer to be some sort of uh, to do some kind of duty. And then this is really important: don't make a big deal out of it. At all. Don't, you know, do the bare minimum, you know, do the bare minimum of what you have to do and, uh, do, and, 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 and uh, you know, do your duty just for the sake of um, just for the sake of the church. Right. Uh, Getting. Yeah. Yeah. Don't become a martyr so that you, you know, find pity, I suppose, in other people's eyes. So often that is the case with these church offices. It becomes like, you know, where, where the Christians find their place to become a suffering sure. servant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Become well, pharisaical, the pastoral you know? office. Now, okay. We, we, that happens among yes, pastors. That's so. right. That's right. All right. So we need to wrap up the conversation. There's so much more that we, that we could be talking about. I, I wanted to uh, understand more about patriarchy under the law and patriarchy. Well, we could always do it again someday. Uh, but maybe what we'll do is we'll, yeah, we'll we'll probably have you back on so that you can you can give us your hot takes on patriarchy and culture. It sounds like it would be fun. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks to everybody who uh, listened in and made it even through the thick and dense Trinitarian theology. If nothing else, this teaches you that anything that we teach here in the Christian Church it springs out of the Holy Scriptures, and it springs it springs out of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you once again, Andrew, and thanks everybody for tuning in.
Thanks again for joining us for our Evangard occasional podcast. If you would like to learn more about Evangard and see our news and notes, information about upcoming events and gatherings, and also to check out our articles on our blog, I invite you to visit evangard.org. That is E-V-A-N-G-U-A-R-D dot O-R-G. God's peace be with you all. We'll hope to talk to you again soon.